0: Out of Zephaniah. raise your hand. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. We got maybe a dozen people have heard a message out of Zephaniah. Why does Zephaniah get so overlooked? right? It's just a tiny little book. It's towards the end of the it's towards the end of the Old Testament. Maybe people get tired uh, pastors get tired of preaching before they get there. I don't know. But Zephaniah is a wonderful book. It's number 11 out of the the, uh, minor prophets. And uh, it's only three chapters long. Once again, one of those little books. But we tend to overlook it, but it has so much to say. And uh, Zephaniah is one of those books. I'm really glad that Zephaniah actually told us when when he prophesied. Right, and he, and he told us a little bit about himself. Uh, in Zephaniah chapter 1, verse 1, he says, And the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah, the son of Cushi, the son of Gildiah, the son of Am- Amariah, son of Hezekiah. He was the great, great grandson of King Hezekiah of Judah. In the days of Josiah, the son of Ammon, the king of Judah. He tells us when, and he tells us who he is. Thank you, Zephaniah, for letting us know that. Because it really helps us to date. Uh, Now, somebody asked me, he says, well, why don't you you, use a laser pointer to show us where you're at up here on this chart because we can't read it. And I I said, I have a laser pointer? (laughs) So, hey, look at that. There's Zephaniah. There's Josiah. About... uh, 640 A.D., he reigns for 30 years in there. And Zephaniah, Josiah is the last of the righteous kings of Judah. And I think to understand the period in which Zephaniah is is prophesying to, I want to look at at 2 Chronicles chapter 34. Because this tells us about Josiah. So in 2 Chronicles 34, we find that Josiah was 8 years old when he became king. Now how many of you were ready to be king at 8? We might have said, hey, I want to be a king. right? I want to be the president one day. 8 years old. But I want you to understand also that Zephaniah was at least his cousin. He was related to Josiah, and he was a prophet. So it's very likely that Zephaniah spoke into Josiah's life during this time, and he was eight years old when he becomes king. At 16, it says that he began to seek the God of his father, David. And then at, and at 20 years old, it says he purges Judah and Jerusalem of all the high places of the Ashram. He, he got rid of all the idols at age 20. And then at age 26, he finds in verse, uh, chapter 34, verse uh, 8, it says that in, in, at age 26, after he would purged all the land, he wanted to have the temple restored And while they were restoring the temple, you know what they found? The Torah. They had lost it for all of those years. It was buried in the rubble of the temple because they they had abandoned it. They had shuttered the temple. They didn't have, nobody was reading the word of God. And all of a sudden the high priest comes out and he says, I found the book. And in Second Chronicles thirty four thirty one it says, And then the king stood in his place and made a covenant before the Lord to walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimonies and his statutes with all his heart and with all his soul and to perform the words of the covenant written in this book. Isn't that amazing? That... Josiah starting out as, a, as this young kid that, that eight years old and God just keeps working in his life and working his life. The, isn't it interesting that it wasn't an instantaneous thing? First he sought the Lord and then he, then he got rid of the idols out of his life and then God brought him the word and he ended up here. 31 years he reigns before he dies in battle and then the evil his evil son takes over and one after another they fall they're all evil and they did evil in the eyes of the Lord and that is the period of time that Zephaniah is prophesying so we come to Zephaniah chapter 1 we read verse 1 but we're going to read the first 6 verses to give us an idea of what Zephaniah is concerned about the word of the Lord came to Zephaniah the son of Cushy the son of Gidali, the hard name the son of Amariah son of Hezekiah in the days of Josiah the son of Ammon the king of Judah I will completely remove all things from the face of the earth declares the Lord I will remove man and beast I will remove birds of the sky the fish of the sea, the runes from the wicked, and I will cut off man from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. So I will stretch out my hand against Judah and against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off the remnant of Baal from this, from this place and the names of the idolatrous priests from among the priests and those who bow down on the housetops to the host of heaven, And those who bow down and swear to the Lord and yet swear to Malcolm, and those who have turned back from following the Lord, and those who have not sought the Lord to inquire of him or inquire of him. As we come to Zedekiah or Zephaniah, okay, we got to get the right names right. As we come to Zephaniah, I want you to notice that there's prophecies both near and far. Do you see the way he begins? What's he talking about? He's talking about total annihilation. He's talking about everyone, all the cattle, all the people. Is that going to happen in his day? Oh, absolutely not. We're here, aren't we? That's a future prophecy. It's going to happen one day. Matter of fact, one day God is going to create a new heaven and a new earth, and the old heaven and the old earth will pass pass away. That destruction will come, but it's way off. It's even in our future. But then he talks about Judah, and he's going to talk about them. But when we look at this far prophecy, If you look down farther in chapter 1, he uses the term, the day of the Lord. And that is a term, we talked about it, it was introduced way back in the book of Joel. He introduces the day of the Lord. It is mentioned more times in Zephaniah in these three chapters than it is in any other Old Testament book. As you drop down through chapter 1, look at verse 7. Be silent before the Lord God, for the day of the Lord is near. Look at verse 8. And then it will come about on the day of the Lord. And then we go down, uh, we pick up at 14. Near is the day of the Lord. And then also in that verse, listen, the day of the Lord. Verse 18. On the day of the Lord's wrath. Over and over, he says, on the day of the Lord. Now, when is that? It's the tribulation and the millennial kingdom. That's in our future. That's yet to come. But yet, when he looks at Judah, he says, Now, Judah, this is what's going to happen to you. Look at verses uh, 4 through 6. So I will stretch out my hand against Judah, the northern kingdom, is already gone. They they were captured by the Assyrians. Samaria was destroyed. They're gone. The only thing left is, is the tribe of Judah, which is Judah and Benjamin. And look what he says. Against all the inhabitants of Jerusalem, and I will cut off what? The remnant of Baal from this place. And the names of the idolatrous priest among the priests, and those who bow down on the housetops to the host of heaven, and those who bow down and swear to the Lord swear to the Lord, and yet swear to Milcom. Who's Milcom? Milcom is another name for the God of Molech. Molech was a was a god that that the Israel, the Israelites adopted. And he was the God of fire. And you know what they would do? They would bring their children and they would burn them alive on the altar. That's pretty bad, isn't it? And, and there was all, they were idolatrous people. And God hated it. And we could say, oh, well, but well, you can go all over and you can say, well, wait a second. We don't see all these idols set up for us to worship. Is that right? We, we offer our children up, but we offer it up at the altar of choice. Yeah. Believe that? I, I was, as I was preparing for this, I came upon an interesting fact the state of Oregon, there's an incinerator less than 30 miles, 40 miles from here in Brooks that creates energy, powers 40,000 homes in Marion County. Up until, up until 2014, we were importing aborted fetuses to burn in that incinerator to heat our homes. Until somebody found out about it and says, oh, we're not gonna, we're not gonna bring, we're not gonna bring fetuses from Canada to Oregon to burn for electricity. Do we have idols? You can name whatever you want. Whatever takes us away from the worship of God, do we worship at the idol of pleasure? We live in Oregon. We are, we are either, every year it kind of flips-flop between Oregon and Washington. We're the 49th or 50th unchurched state in the nation. We're an hour and a half from the coast. We're an hour and a half from the mountains. You can drive by any one of these one of these big RV uh, storage places, and you will see hundreds of vehicles. Now, I'm not saying that's bad, but when it takes away from our worship of God, we, we worship at the God of success. We worship at the God of materialism. We worship in so many different places. And we need to be able to say who is the only one that is worthy of our worship, and that's God. In and of itself, they are not bad. But when they become part of our worship, we forget who God is. He has a second complaint of these people, and it's in Zephaniah 1.12. Look at verse 12. And it will come about at that time that I will search Jerusalem with lamps, and I will punish the men... Who are stagnant in spirit, who say in their hearts, The Lord will not do good or evil. Wow. God has to use a lamp to find the righteous people in Jerusalem? I want you to think about that. What does God say about us? What are we supposed to be? We're supposed to be the light of the world. And yet he's walking around with a lamp saying, where, where, are the, where are the righteous? Where are those that are still shining forth? Yeah, we sing that little song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, right? And we get to the second verse and it says, What? Hide it under a bushel? No, I'm going to let it shine. Hide it under a bushel, no, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. But here's God using a lantern to find the righteous. He's looking all over, and what does he find? He says he finds people that are stagnant in spirit. I find that interesting. To be stagnant means out of Webster's, it says, having no current or flow. When I was a kid, we used to love the springtime along the Saniam River because what would happen is, is before the dams came along, as the water would drop, there would be these little pools that would form alongside the river and there wouldn't be any water coming in but that water that was there and the frogs would loved it because the water would get warm and they would hatch their they would hatch their uh, eggs in there and we'd go down and catch polywogs and grow them into frogs it's cool but there wasn't any there wasn't any water flowing so what happens eventually it dries up to nothing And he said, they were stagnant. There's no flow coming in, and there's no water going out. Isn't that kind of interesting? Is that like the church? Is that like us? Now, you can have, what happens if you have water coming in? It has to have an outlet. And in in his day and time, what was happening it says that the house of the Lord was in Ill, had been abandoned. In Second in Chronicles 34:30. 30, we read 31, and we'll read it again in just a second, but they had went to the temple because nobody was reading the word because they hadn't found it. It was buried in the rubble of the temple. And in verse 30 it says, And the king went up to the house, once they discovered the Torah, once they discovered the law, went up to the house of the Lord and all the men of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and the priests and the Levites and all the people from the greatest to the least. And he read, he, the king, read in the hearing of all the words of the book of the covenant which was found in the house of the Lord. You see, there had to be flow coming in. They had forgotten the word of God. And we have to have the flow coming in. And and just having, having the word on Sunday is not enough. We need the word on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday and Thursday and Friday and Saturday. We've got to constantly, because if you don't have flow coming in all the time, it's going to get stagnant. We've got to have the word of God flowing in our lives. And look what the response, once the flow came in, once they understood the word of God, once it was preached to them and shared with them, look at the next verse. And then the king stood in the place and made a covenant before the Lord to what? To walk after the Lord and to keep his commandments and his testimony and his status. Statutes, with all his heart and with all his soul to perform the words of the covenant written in this book. He actually, Josiah actually restores the Passover feast. You see, once you have flow coming in, then you can have flow going out and you have clean water. You have fresh water that people can use to nourish themselves. James 1.22 says, but prove yourself what? Doers of the word and not merely hearers only who delude themselves. You see, you can get stagnant just by not doing anything. Just by hearing And not doing. And in the book of Revelation, to the church of Laodicea, Jesus wrote these words. I know your deeds. That you are neither cold nor hot. I wish that you were cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm... I'm, and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You've been there. I'm not a coffee drinker, but I like tea. And you know when tea gets, lu- I like iced tea, I love iced tea. and I like hot tea. But you know you think you're getting a glass of hot tea, a cup of hot tea, or you think you're getting a a, a glass of 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 iced tea and it's lukewarm. Not, right. It's not much good of anything. Or a flat soda pop. But, it, but we can become that way. Become, we can become stagnant. And that was his complaint. That was his complaint. But God will never leave us in that condition. God will always give us the opportunity... The opportunity to change. And all through, through Zephaniah, if you were to look into the, into the first chapter and on into the second chapter, what, he, what he's doing is he's saying, here is Judah's problem, and here's the future problem. And we're in the same state. We're no different than the Israelites were. He, he calls us, and in chapter 2, he calls us to a place of change. Look at chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. Gather yourselves together. Yes, gather, O nation, without shame. Before the decree takes effect, the day passes like the chaff. Before the burning anger of the Lord comes upon you, before the day of the Lord's anger comes upon you, what? Seek who? The Lord. Seek the Lord all the humble of the earth who have carried out his ordinances seek righteousness seek humility and look at this perhaps you will be hidden in the day of the Lord's anger You see God says I won't I'm not going to hurt people that are following me I'm going to hide them And didn't he do that over and over again? What did he do with Noah? Noah preached. Noah built the ark just like God said, and nobody believed, except his three his three daughters and his three or excuse me his three sons and his three daughter in laws, eight people. And God says, and I love this part of the story of Noah. They went in and God shut the door. Read it. God shut them in. He hid them inside the ark and waited for the rain to come. He hid them. Lot and his wife and daughters. Abraham does the does the amazing job of pleading for their life. If 50, if 40, if 10, they couldn't even find 10 righteous people in all of Sodom and Gomorrah. And before the wrath of God came down in fire and brimstone, what what happened? The two two men that came there said, come on, let's get you out of here. Let's get you away. I want you to go over here and hide in this city. And even that wasn't good enough for Lot's wife. God is always in the business of taking care of us. He looks over us. And this prophecy will come absolutely true for the nation of Israel in the future. During the tribulation time, oh, I probably ought to give you this, right? Everybody's been waiting to write this down, haven't you? God always makes a way for repentance and restoration. There's always a remnant. And in the book of Revelation, it talks about the nation of Israel. And this is so beautiful. Revelation 12, 6, And then the woman, the woman... In Revelation 12 is the nation of Israel. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by who? Prepared by God. So that there she would be nourished for 1,260 days. Three and a half years. The last half of the tribulation, Israel is going to be taken out into the wilderness and God is going to Sovereignly protect them. Now, I don't know what that looks like, but it's going to be cool. I mean, we know today, uh, some people say, well, that's the Iron Dome. You know, they have the, Israel has the, uh, all these missile defense systems that they shoot up, and they're like 90 some percent accurate. I got news for you, it's going to be better than that, because it's going to be God's Iron Dome. I don't know. You know, you ever watch those sci-fi movies, you know, where the little cone goes over the city and people can't, you know? I, I don't know whether it's gonna be like that. I don't know what it's gonna be, but I know that God has prepared it, and it's a hundred percent, and God's gonna take care of it for three and a half years. That's absolutely this is gonna come true during the tribulation. But did you know that you're hidden? Did you know that each one of you are hidden? Colossians 3 1 through 4. Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. What's the setting here? It's heaven. Set your mind on things above, not on the things that are on the earth. For you have died, and your life is what? Hidden with Christ in God. That is present tense. That's not future, present tense. You are hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is our life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with Him in glory. You see, once you come to know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, what does it say in the beginning? Therefore, if you've been raised up with Christ, right? You've come to him. You've confessed your sin. You've, you've made him Lord of your life. He says, you are hidden in me. The old devil can't find you. He may try. He may try to do any all that he wants, But God says you're mine and you're hidden. You see the hands? We went through this in John, didn't we? Whose hand are you in? When you get saved, Jesus puts you in the palm of his hand. And then what does he say in the same chapter? He says, the Father, you're also in the Father's hand. And then he says that you are, the Holy Spirit does what? Seals you. You can take good old duct tape and wrap it around and around. And and if you've ever tried to tear duct tape, it's hard. (laughs) Especially when you get all wrapped up in it. You're sealed. You're hidden in Christ. Romans tells us what? There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And it has a whole list, doesn't it? Anything you're going through, cannot separate you from the love of God. Well, I want to want you to look at Zephaniah chapter 3. And if we were to go through Zephaniah 3, you would see all of these kingdoms that are around uh, Israel. They're all going to be condemned too. But then he comes back. And remember, we have a near. And we have afar, and I want you to look at Zephaniah 3 14 through 17. Shout for joy, O daughter of Zion. Shout in triumph, O Israel. Rejoice and exult with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away his judgments against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. You will fear disaster no more. In that day it will be said to Jerusalem, Do not be afraid, O Zion. Do not let your hands fall limp. The Lord your God is in your midst, a victorious warrior. He will exalt over you with joy. He will be quiet in his love. He will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. Those terms that are used there about exalting and and rejoicing are musical terms. God sings over you. Have you ever thought about that? God's up in heaven and he's singing. I love Hunter and Anna, right? He's singing over you. That's what God does. As a matter of fact, there's a he rejoices over each one of us. Luke tells us in Luke chapter 15, Luke says, I tell you that in the same way there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over ninety and nine righteous persons who need no repentance. That's the story of the shepherd that leaves the ninety and nine and goes out and finds the one that's lost. And you may be saying, I don't think God's singing over me. I haven't been very righteous lately. Matter of fact, I've kind of mucked things up. My life is not what I think God would sing over. Uh, No, he probably sings a little louder, trying to get your attention. I love you! As it echoes through the universe as he shouts your name. Did you notice what it says? The Lord your God is in your midst. I don't care where you're at. He's right there with you. He's he's with you in the middle of your mess. He's with you in the middle of your grief. He's with you in the middle of whatever you're going through. He hasn't forgotten about you. He's made up a little song about you. I want to teach you a little song. All you have to do, I want you just to repeat after me. Okay? Ready? The Lord thy God, Lord thy God. is in the midst of thee. He's mighty. He's mighty. mighty. The Lord thy God God. in the midst of thee is mighty. He's mighty. And I saw him high and lifted up with power and might and authority and he shall reign in the midst of thee forever and ever amen Lord thy God is in the midst of thee. He's not far off. He's right next to you. Whatever whatever you're going through. And one of these days, we're going to get to be like Bob. Bob's in heaven, and he's standing right next to Jesus right now. He may be sitting in a rocking chair, I don't know. That's where I want to be when I get to heaven. I want to sit down with God with a nice tea in one hand and him on the other hand and say thank you Jesus for all that you did with me all the way through my life. Amen. We're going to come to communion right now. And that song is very appropriate because what does it say? And I saw him high and lifted up with power and grace and authority. That's a song we're going to sing in heaven. Look it up. It's in the book of Revelation. We're going to sing that one day when we get to heaven. And I don't know whether on that night when he was betrayed I know the Apostles, the disciples, they, they didn't quite understand it all. He kept telling them, what? I'm going away. He spends six chapters in John telling them, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm leaving. But he, he says, if I leave, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And then he also said, what? I'm going to come back and get you. This is just a reminder. This is a reminder of, A, what Jesus did for us on the cross, that he was high and lifted up. If I am lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. But it's also a promise because he said, I will not drink this cup again until I do in heaven. He He's made us a promise. Every time you take communion, I want you to think about, one day I'm going to sit at the marriage supper of the Lamb. It's going to be the saved of all time. Can you imagine how big that table is? You think your Thanksgiving table is big. You're going to see all those saved of all time seated at the table at one time there is no kids table in heaven everybody sits at the big people's table with the Lord amen he said this is a remembrance of that do this often as you do in remembrance of me and that night as he sat there with his apostles and he took that bread and he says this is my body which is broken for you Jesus didn't go to the cross for himself. He went to the cross for you and I. We couldn't pay the price for our sin, and He said, I'll do it for you. This is my body, which is broken.